hopefully don't do it very often. And then Mm -hmm. it's like when you have to do it, oh my God, it's like the most. It's mentally exhausting. (laughs) Arduous thing. It's so mentally exhausting. So kudos to you. You're doing it so fast and like getting all of your stuff done. Like I said, I didn't start looking until the last week of April because I know how places work. But I have to say, I'll just say it because we're on air, but like you predicted what would happen because I lost the first place that I applied to. They were like, sorry, somebody beat you to it. And that was my dream apartment. And I told you and you were like, I have a feeling that's not the case. You like went full medium and you're like, something tells me that's not the story here. And I think we're going to find out very soon. I'm serious. I really feel like it was your it was your space because when you sent me photos and videos, I was like, okay, that has you written all over it. But also from personal experience, I swear that when something is not meant for you, like living wise, it falls through, especially in like these like in cities like L.A. or like in New York or D.C. Totally. Because when I when I got here, there was a place I had my heart set on. It had a loft and it was like this but this loft was like i I kid you not 20 feet up in the air it would have been so treacherous if i like slipped or something or if i need to get down in the middle of the night like it would have been so bad and i still to this day think to myself that that was like that was some sort of like divine intervention and Mm -hmm. i just had somebody had their hands in it okay (laughs) yes and i was like okay karma if that was if that if I lost that place, like, please let Silas get this place. Like, let that be the full oh, circle God. of that karma. I'm dead serious. That's what I thought. And then when you texted me and you said you got it, I was like, oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's going to be it's amazing. So, it was so exciting. Well, because it was it was crazy, the timing of it, because I had found another place that was down the street. Because really, like, what I first fell in love with was the neighborhood, like, West Adams area. Yes. <laughs> shouldn't talk, I shouldn't dox myself. But... <laughs> I found another place down the street and I was so committed to it. They wanted a really fast turnaround. I had the pen in my hand ready to sign that lease when I got a text from the other property manager, like leasing agent. And she goes, it's back. She goes, it opened up. That's what I imagine her voice to be. It's probably not <laughs> yeah, what it's 100%. like. And I, I, my whole world shifted in that second and everything had to happen like so fast. And then I felt like the cards were stacked against me because they were like, we need we need your deposit and we need your your first month's rent like immediately in cashier's check. And I never write checks. So I had to go to the bank to get the cashier's check. I show up to my bank, which is Bank of America, and the doors are all locked. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I was like, these are their hours. And I'm like peering inside, like trying to jam the door open because I see all the tellers standing there. And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> I go around the other side and I finally see cops inside. They had just been robbed. <laughs> They have been robbed. Wait, so that also is completely whatever the universe making sure you didn't get that cashier's check. Like, and I'm banging on the window. I'm like, excuse me. Are you still operating services? (laughs) Someone's like bleeding inside. And I'm like, excuse me. You're like, if I don't get this damn apartment. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I was I was going to be sick to myself. I'll be on the street. That's stressful. Yeah, it's stressful. Yeah. I mean, I had a million people so who stressful. were like, stay on my couch, stay with me. And I'm like, no, this is my time. I'm going to get this place. Well, you're, you like to have your space, which I admire about you and because I'm course, very much the yeah. same way. It is so tough to like go from living in a really nice space like you're in and all having all your 
creature comforts, and then you got to go live on somebody's couch, do the whole running around trying to find a place. It's just yeah. Ugh. I love what you just said, creature comforts. I don't think I've ever heard anyone phrase it like that. You have your creature. Oh, comforts. really? No, I love your, that. Your, Creep your creeper comforts. Your creeper my creeper, comforts. my creepers. Oh, wait, what a perfect segue! Thank you for setting me up. Yeah. Creepers, welcome back to Creep Time, the podcast with Silas Dean and Stu. Stu is back from the Hi, wedding. Creepers, <laughs> yes, back from the wedding. Did you catch when I told everybody you were an ordained minister, which is a flat out lie? But in my mind, it is nothing but truth. No, but that is true. I am more an ordained. No, minister. you're not. I did not. Are you really? Yes. But it's the same thing as what Jack said. I mean, I had to do it because I was in a, um, I took a religion course like offered by some community college when I was in high school. And oh my god, um, part of the course was that I had to get ordained. But it, it takes literally like you could do it tonight. You you go on, you answer all these questions, and then you get your That's little crazy. certificate. It takes less than ten minutes. It's crazy. But that, um, I mean, yeah, in my mind, I'm like, I that should be illegal. But, but like, yeah, I was like, but why would it be? Yeah. I mean, if it's that simple, just let anybody marry anybody. That's great. I guess that's, yeah. I honestly don't know why they make it that easy. I guess because so many people like to be married by people that are close to them that. Yeah. The like, state. I want my, my, like my best friend married us or like my, yeah. you know, I, I get that. That makes sense. Yeah. I Cute. guess they have to make it that easy. But to but clarify, yeah. you did so not ordain, officiate. Baby. <laughs> get ordained. I did not officiate. <laughs> no. Okay. I did not officiate. That would, but can I just tell you, mm-hmm. it was so fun because my friend's uh, grandfather officiated it and he's actually, oh. um, he's an actual minister and I just forgot to grow up in the South <laughs> and go to church and, and that draw that they have when they are doing, you know, the, the speaking, like sermons. whatever. Yeah, sermons. The yeah. sermons and everything. Yes. And he gets up there and he was so sweet. And he's like, ladies and gentlemen, we all gathered here today. <laughs> no, it's just immediately like I have stepped back in time. Like I am back Sitting in a church pew, seven years old, like drawing on the little like uh, program that they give you at the beginning, yes. just like not paying any attention. Like, but it was it's so a full on sense memory. Sweet. Oh my god! Yes, full on sense memory. But it was so sweet. But yeah, he 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 should have and did a wonderful job officiating that wedding. I I definitely don't want to officiate anybody's wedding. No, no. I'm going to start putting you up for like wedding jobs now. I'm going to start. Oh my God. We should officiate a creepers wedding. We should do that. (gasps) How fun. Come on. Oh my God. Come on. Creepers. Somebody, somebody let us know if you're getting married. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody. Hit me up in the DMs. Um, We should. Yeah. On our our own dime. We'll get hotels and everything. (laughs) Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yes, I, I was like having this moment where I was thinking about all of the cases that we could have done today. And I realized that very selfishly, what I really like, why I really want to do batch episodes with you is because I get so impatient because there are so many good cases that I want to cover with you. Like just in the last yes. like couple of weeks, I've gotten a lot of DMs and I see you guys post on um, 
you like submit to the questions on Spotify, they are like right in step with my thinking because all of the cases they suggest, I'm like, yes, that's so good. We have like Jody Hoosentrout, Lucas Magnata. Um, there were a couple there that were new that I hadn't even read before. So I was like, oh, that's like perfect if Stu wants to take a nap. Um, I know I told you that we were going to do the sleepwalking murder episode. Um, and I actually told you we were going to do a paranormal episode this week, but I did a pivot because I have research that I found, like I said, from a couple months back for the case of Mary Day, which you haven't heard of. I had never heard of it until I heard a podcast about it. And I was like, whoa, this is a strange story. This is weird. Her name already gives me the creeps. And I feel like I can say that because... I just know a lot of Marys with like like plain Jane names. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Well that I name feel specifically like, feels it almost feels made up. Something about the name yes, Mary, Mary Day. Day. Like something I'd hear in a novel. It's like a character. It's haunting. Yeah, it does it's haunting. It's a haunting name. Oh, but before we jump into it, speaking of hauntings, did you listen to the previous episode with Jack? Yes. Okay, what's your opinion on the Enfield poltergeist? Was it fa- hoax fabricated or was there some truth there? okay it was really i i was grappling with it so much when i was listening to you guys because Mm -hmm. you can't deny that when you hear those audio recordings the thought of that being a little girl is so like how in the world it's shocking isn't it that and then uh her knowing the name of the previous tenant to me i'm like listen that's like very black and white to me because how what is the scenario where she's even fed that information like who knows exactly unless like you said some adult told her or if she heard it from somebody and then decided to do this like whole hoax thing i mean i did that is ballsy for like a child i I know i I mean she's it's all a hoax she's a talented kid I was going to say, she needs an I agent. Mean, really, she needs an agent. It was a whole ruse. If she really pulled that <laughs> off, I'm obsessed. Like, I'm shocked. Like, that's crazy. I mean, just, just the vocal trickery alone is like impressive. Yeah. Like, how you can throw your voice like that. D- One question Where, mm-hmm. what happened to her? Like, did she grow up and have a perfectly normal life? Like, what in the world? Yeah, I think they all went on to have very normal lives. Because there were, don't forget, there were the two girls who were kind of the focal point of the hauntings. And then there were two other children, I believe. So four total. They all grew up and just had pretty, like, normal lives. I think the story continued to follow them. So they would continue to do, like, um, interviews. I think maybe they wrote books, like, things along those lines. But they really never made, like, a lot of money off of it so if it was a hoax for the interest of like financial gain that never happened like there was no like long game there it was just a story that like followed them but i also can't imagine that if it was real you would grow up to be a perfectly normal person (laughs) exactly that's kind of the thing is that I don't know. By the end of it, I did kind of lean more on like the hoaxy side Mm -hmm. and that it was just a weird um like she had the deck stacked perfectly kind of moment in her life where it all just kind of worked out and she was able to pull it off. Um, But those freaking audio recordings are so weird. I could not audio recordings for sure. Yeah. They're strange. I actually think the first police um, like witness statement is really interesting because Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine that an officer, especially officers that were like, we don't want to get our hands tied up with this, would have any reason to, like, 
lie about something they saw. You know what I mean? Like they're used to giving witness statements. They're used to saying exactly what they saw. So for that constable to come in and say, I saw a chair move by itself four feet. And then I went to the chair to pick it up and look for the string. And there was no proof that there was any like trickery going on. I'm like, um, (laughs) that's scary. Like that's, that's poltergeist. That's a real poltergeist. That is. Yeah. Do you believe, do you believe in like ghosts and I mean, I guess me, I would assume, do yeah, I, I mean, believe I in assume ghosts? you do. <laughs> yeah. I assume you do because also your experience with jacket pair, uh, Oh yeah. Oh but God. I've had, I've had Paracon. Parapod festival. Parapod. Parapon. <laughs> I just said Paracod. Paracon. <laughs> no, you see, that is the codfish festival I'm going to this summer. Yes, that, you got okay, those mixed yes. up, baby. <laughs> yes, I got that. I forgot about your love of fish. Yes, my love of cod. I just love a good cod. <laughs> um, not only have I had experiences, or recently had experiences with that, but I've had experiences growing up with um, the paranormal. Like my... um. I- I don't want to derail us, but I, I'm so I know, curious. I know. Well, I think I must have told you these stories a long time ago, but there's only two major ones that come to mind. But I would, I almost told this one to Jack, like on the note of a poltergeist. When I was a kid, I had a TV in my room because I was very like a- afraid of the dark and like I just didn't want to like sleep in my room alone without a TV on. I was young, young. Like I must have been like eight, maybe seven. And I remember like being in my room, laying in bed and... It's funny because my mom grew up in the same house that I grew up in. Like, my parents bought it from my grandparents. So she had paranormal experiences in that house when she was a kid. My grandma used to tell me these stories. And I slept in the same room that she did where she had those experiences. So I'm in the room. I remember this so vividly. Um, Looking to the foot of my bed, and on the left is a door to, like, a little, um, like, a little, like, closet. Kind of like a, I don't know, a halfway closet or something. Yeah. And it's illuminated by the TV and I'm looking at it because it's weird because it has a hook on the outside of the door, which I always thought was strange for a closet. Like, why would you lock a closet from the outside? (laughs) But I don't know. Um, So I'm looking at that hook, which is like a loose hook. Like you just lift it up. It's like a latch hook. And I was looking at it and I just remember thinking like, oh, God, that would be so scary if that thing just like flew open by itself. I kid you not in that moment. That hook flew open with such force that I actually couldn't believe what I was seeing. Like, I thought I I dreamt it or something. And I remember laying in bed paralyzed, and I slowly worked up the nerve to just go, Mom! <laughs> Oh, my God. I didn't sleep in that room oh, for weeks. Oh, thing. Oh, that was oh. so sc- You know why? Because I used to lock scary stuffed animals in that closet. Any, like, stuffed animal that I got for, like, Christmas and stuff, like, I would put them in that closet because it would scare me. You had scary stuffed animals. That's amazing. I had, like, um, so before, like, Chucky came out, there was a doll that was kind of like a Chucky, like a good guy doll. And I had one of those. My parents got it for me for Christmas, and it scared the crap out of me. The thing was awful, and I used to lock it in that damn closet. That's so funny. Just, like, self-induced torture. I know. I know. But that, I mean, come on. That was, like, a pretty... I couldn't imagine like how that could have happened any other way yeah. than a paranormal experience, you know? That's do you know what I got chills when you were telling that because <gasps> I believe that you have like some I've always kind of thought this. I I mean I think it about myself too, but when you're kind of like when you believe it enough or like you're tapped into it enough, 
it almost feels like it kind of starts as like a kid in a weird way. Like I remember totally. having moments like yeah. that too, where I would like start to think of like, what if that did happen or what if, and it would just happen. Like, it was just weird. And you can't really so tell. It's, you're it's like, you am I, plot. yeah, you're like, am I, am I a medium? Am I like anticipating like things before they happen or am I manifesting yeah. it? Like you don't really yeah. fully understand it, but I do think it was specific to like being a kid though, like being a child. I felt more connected to that Definitely. than I do now, which is shocking because now it's all I talk about. Yeah, now I'm like flying out of the bed. I'm like, I will <laughs> tackle this to the ground, whatever it is. I got to get my eight hours. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you, girl. But yeah, I thanks for bringing that story up. I didn't get to tell that last episode. So I'm happy I finally got yeah. to share it. Ooh, I feel so yes, I oh. do believe in ghosts. I absolutely do. Um, I okay. think I also believe in telekinesis, that people can move things with their minds. There's a, a really so famous, sick. there's a really, <laughs> really famous case, which we should cover on here of um, a Russian housewife in her, I think, 50s, who realized that she could do this. And when I talk about moving things with your mind, very small things, like she could move like a box of matches if she really concentrated and she could like, like very small things like that. Um, and it was interesting to like watch her work in these experiments because obviously it's a controlled environment, like there's no strings or anything. And they would go on for hours and they would monitor her. She would sweat, become dizzy. Her heart rate would like double. Like she would really go through like a physical experience, concentrating, yeah. trying to move these things. And she could do it. Okay, not to get like so deep here, but it's weird because I was thinking about this actually when I was listening to your this episode with um, Jack. I was thinking to myself like, where does all of... Be- where does it all stem from? Because at some point someone had the thought of like, Mm -hmm. what if we could do move stuff with our minds or like, did they just have the thought or did somebody experience it first? Like chicken or the egg kind of situation. Like I often think about Mm -hmm. that. I'm like, did somebody experience a ghost and then went and told somebody and that something weird happened. And then we just started naming that like, Oh, that would be like a ghost or like that's a haunt. Yeah. Yeah, a haunt. And then did somebody one day like mm-hmm. sort of make something move or they thought they did with their brain? They were just thinking about something so hard and then we like pass that down. I don't know. I, that's probably like way too um meta. No, I think no, I think <laughs> we podcast. should know. We should do some history on but, I would be very curious to hear about yeah. the history of like when hauntings or the word haunting became I don't know, something that was popular um throughout yeah. culture. Because it must date back like a very very long time from now but right we should cover that because we are a history podcast are we not <laughs> we are we are baby are um we? are we i remember yeah. we were like it was kind of a point of contention i don't know if we were we kind of <laughs> were and then we weren't and then are we <laughs> yeah spotify spotify gave me a call and they were like it's not gonna happen you're not gonna be a history podcast <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll make it more colorful they were like you will never be a history podcast with spotify um oh but then i got an email and they were like just kidding <laughs> we can categorize they were like we've only got pod. like 10 on the docket we need an 11th so they need our gen z audience down. they need a gen z exactly, audience exactly exactly and apparently we bring the gen z audience oh my god no cap no cap at I'm all baby no 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 you'll be fine <laughs> we just lost like so many listeners from me saying that no, the Gen Z one. They're the diehards. They're there forever. Yeah. Okay. We love them. They love us. All right. 
I'm going to jump into Mary Day. Okay. So let me just give you a quick little top line just so I can refresh for myself because, again, it's been a minute since I've read this research. Yeah. So today we are going to get into the disappearance. It's a disappearance case of a girl named Mary Day, which is this like very sinister story of this 13-year-old girl who I think disappeared – I'm not sure, like, I'd have to check timing-wise that this happened in the 70s or 80s because it kind of crosses both decades, but she went missing in Seaside, California. Now, there are a lot of disappearance cases, you know, particularly of teenagers who go missing, but this story is really interesting to me. And the first time I heard it, all I thought about was you. You're going to gasp a lot throughout this story. There is a twist around every corner of this tale. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, it's why. Like, I... I'm just going to set you up. You can't predict, like, what's going to happen. You're going to think you can, but you can't. <laughs> okay. When I first heard it, I was enwrapped. Like, I was, like, just waiting, dying to hear, like, what was going to come next. So we're going to dive into the bizarre circumstances of how this girl went missing and figure out what really happened to her. Now, the story does begin in the 70s. Hold on. <clears throat> Got to clear my throat before I get into this because this is going to be a hefty <laughs> amount of research. Our backstory okay. starts in the 70s. I know, take a breath. Take a sip, baby. <laughs> we hone in on our two parents. We've got Charlotte Day and her husband, Charles Day. And they're living in California. And they're struggling. Like, from the get-go, let's start our story there. They're not functional parents um, financially, emotionally. Like, they're, they're very dysfunctional with this family. And they have three young children, three daughters. Of those daughters included Mary, Mary Day... There was Sherry and there was Kathy. Now, from very early on in the childhood, these three girls, they were kind of troubled, as you can imagine, um, because of everything that was going on in the household. They had parents that weren't taking care of them. So believe it or not, even in the 1970s, protective services stepped in and the girls were removed from the home. But what that meant was that they were kind of shuffled off into different locations through the foster care system. So they would end up spending like years like kind of going in and out of different homes, never quite like finding that permanent place to call their home. And eventually Charlotte, the mother divorces Charles and she would go on to remarry a new man. And it's during this time she actually attempts to regain custody of all three of the girls, like pull them back from the foster care system, which I was shocked. Like someone could petition to do, but I guess anything's possible. Yeah. But the problem was that Sherry, one of the girls had actually already been like formally or formally adopted like years prior to Charlotte trying to do this. So she was only ever able to like regain custody of two of her other daughters. So she gets custody. You can imagine the confusion of these poor kids that sort of had this like disjointed, I don't know, like family unit. And essentially they're growing up in like other people's homes, not necessarily with their siblings. And then once again, their biological mother regains custody so they have to go back, but one of their siblings is not living with the family. So it's just confusing for sure, right? Yeah. Oh, it's jarring. Can you imagine? That's like, I mean, I don't know how much time they spent apart from each other. First of all, I was going to clarify. Years. So they oh, were years. all three separated. Yeah. That's what it sounded homes. like. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so painful. Because um, well, it's very yeah, rare that I like mean, a foster family can just take in like three kids at once, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah, so and I imagine they're all probably fairly young when they get separated. So how weird is it to come back and like I kind know. of reestablish that relationship? I couldn't imagine with with a mom that you remember not taking great care of you. Yeah, well, I guess when you're that young, you're not really thinking 
like that. I mean, because that's a very sound thought. It's a very adult thought. But if that's the only home yeah. you've ever known or the foster care system is even worse than what you remember with your biological mother. Right. That's very possible, too, especially in the 70s. Yeah. Now, well, speaking of the 70s, they truly were something else because this does happen. Like the mother is fully able to like legally regain custody. But when she does and she gets those two daughters back, she fails to enroll the girls in school. So they go, they like spend years without any sort of like public schooling or like socializing with other kids. Not horrible. Uh, It's illegal. Do you know how old they are? (laughs) They're young. They're young girls. I'm trying to think like, I mean, I think this story kind of chronicles over a period of years. And I think when Mary Day disappears, she is 13. So try to imagine the eldest is like, yeah, like the eldest Mary Day, like when she comes back is probably like 10, 11, I'm guessing. Okay. Young girls, for sure. Um, But so for a lot of this, they're just kind of, they're living within the confines of their new home with their birth mother and the man that she remarried who went by William. William is a very important character to this story. Um, And if things could not get any darker in this household, it's actually around this time that Mary Day becomes a preteen and she starts to experience physical and sexual abuse from the stepfather, William. So throughout this time, I should also note that William is in the U.S. military, so he's getting bopped around the country, which is partially why they were never enrolled in school, is because he gets stationed somewhere, and the whole family just goes with him kind of thing. So they're never, like, making friends. They're just kind of jumping from town to town the whole time, and all through this, the abuse is continuing to go down. And I think it actually gets really bad when they're he's stationed in Hawaii. Um, somebody finds out about this and someone reports it again to Child Protective Services. Child Protective Services comes back and they remove Mary Day from the home. This is what's confusing to me. and <laughs> It has to be a symptom of the 70s. <laughs> because what it sounded like from the research is that Mary Day gets removed from like the reported abuse, but the younger sister stays. They don't remove both kids. Oh. How does and, that make any sort of sense? The thought was whoever reported this, they probably knew that she was being sexually abused. No, I would, I would assume so. Yeah, so maybe okay. that's what yeah. made it feel what, what is dire. That thought? I, <laughs> <laughs> what is that logic? Let the new one become, you know, the next victim. Oh, God. exactly. Yeah, the younger one. Like it was just the all of it was horrible. Um, but it's interesting what happens. Just a few months after this. So Mary Day, she gets removed. She goes back into the system. But it's around this time that her birth father, like the man who was in the household like before all of this went down, Charles, he unexpectedly dies. And what's even more surprising is he has a small inheritance that he leaves to the girls. So before Mary actually gets taken away um, and gets you know put back into the system, her and her sister kind of make a pact together with their inheritance, which is small. But they're like, this is our emergency money. Like, if we ever, like, let's make a plan as siblings, as sisters. If we ever get into, like, a jam or we have to run out or we have to get away from the home, this is our money to get out. Right? So Mary Day goes back into the system. And her mother and stepfather and the younger sister all move from Hawaii and get stationed down in Seaside, California, which is where this all happens. Now, Seaside is, like... This is their new home. It's the new military base. William is going to be stationed there. It is beautiful, like right by the water, scenic, just absolutely gorgeous. Like this could have been a fresh start for the family. 
And surprisingly, it would only take until Mary Day turns 13 just a few months after she's removed, where Child Protective Services, and I'm sure this is not the rule now, when you turn 13, you could basically make a decision about, like, where you want to live. Do you want to go back and live with your biological family or stay in the system? And she opts to go back to live with the mother and William. It's so telling. Well, you know what I'm thinking is she she's what? there for her sister more than anybody. Oh, that's such a good point. No, that's probably true, actually. That makes a lot of sense. Oh. Well. Oh, poor thing. She, yeah, oh, so, so she. Scary. I know, I know. So she does decide to go back to Seaside, right? She goes back to live with them. Maybe she thought that she would be there to protect her sister. Maybe she thought it would be a fresh start, a new leaf. It's a new place. Despite that chance at a fresh start, it only took a matter of weeks before the abuse from William would start up again. And reportedly, him and Mary would often, like, physically fight, and their arguments became loud and violent. And I think that's interesting, and I want to talk about that because I think that paints a a really clear picture of the kind of girl that Mary Day was. You know, she was never quite shattered by the abuse. She was sustaining a lot, um, but she was fighting back a lot of it. You know, she was going up against her stepfather at just 13, maybe trying to protect herself, but also trying to protect her sister, like safeguard the whole situation. Yeah. Wow. Very resilient human being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is interesting and equally devastating in the context of what would happen very soon after this. So there is one major fight. Uh, that her sister recalled, which seemed particularly aggressive in the home. And the reason she called attention to it is because this was one of the last nights with her stepfather before Mary Day would disappear. Now, within just days, if not the next morning after this fight, Mary Day goes missing from the home. And according to her sister, one of the most sinister tells that something was very wrong here is that her parents do not file a missing persons report despite her being Mm. only 13. I know, you're hearing that, and you're going ding, ding, ding. Mm. Sadly, because Child Protective Services did not do (laughs) follow-ups. And they were in a new town where most people didn't even know that they had children, because don't forget, they were never enrolled in any school. Nobody even knows this girl is missing. Like, nobody would know she's missing. No one clocks it. And her sister remembered kind of asking her parents, you know, what? happened to Mary like this is like even being like really young she knew something was wrong and she's like Mary's gone why is nobody talking about this and her parents just kept repeating Mary ran away from home but she knew that even if that was the case it was strange that her parents would neglect to file a missing persons report like you know that even as like a kid at like seven or eight yeah or just even if it's not about the report like the demeanor of your parents would 100% if they're good parents and mm-hmm. they're not, you know, implicated in some way, they'd be freaking out. They'd be like, what happened? Where is she crying, emotionally heightened? Like, clearly the younger sister knows mm-hmm. that something is not right. Well, here's where things get even darker. So <laughs> what's even stranger than that is that her parents attempt to erase Mary Day from their lives. They scrub any trace of her from the house as if she never existed. They rip up all the photos of her. They throw them away. They throw away all her clothes. Um, And if Kathy brings it up, like the little sister, she gets reprimanded. And one of the strangest requests that they made for Kathy, they said under no circumstances 
is she now allowed to play in a certain corner of the yard? And they did not tell her why. Stop. Yeah. So at this point, I think Kathy is actually, I know, I know. I heard that and I'm like, oh My boy. dropped. No. I know. I know. I'm no. like, oh, if we got a case here. <laughs> Kathy is like, she's 11, I think at this time. Yeah. She's 11 years old. Which is still pretty young, I think, especially at the 70s. I think 11-year-olds today are very different from a few decades ago. But it's a lot mm-hmm. to process, you know, like what's happening around you in the addition to your, like your sister, the only confidant you have in your home, now being gone. But she knows something like in her gut is very wrong with this. Like something's wrong with her parents and something happened to Mary. Now, it's just not very clear like how much time passes after this happens. But I think it's a bit of time that elapses when... We know that Mary has disappeared. Um, And then the youngest sister, the one who had been adopted already, Sherry, she starts to make visits because she's getting older. And she, like, comes to visit the birth mother now that, like, everything's set up and we're in Seaside, California. Come visit. So she comes to visit. And you can imagine how taken aback she is when everyone's like, Mary's gone. Like, Mary ran away. (laughs) She just She's, like, startled by this information and just, like, shocked that no one ever brought it up. No one ever mentioned it. And no one's really questioning it. So she just keeps getting the same response, right? Like, Mary ran away. Like, there's nothing else to say about it. And it doesn't sit right with her, again, even as a kid. She can sense there's, like, a feeling of tension in the house that maybe, like, at this point, the sister Kathy is afraid to ask questions. Like, she's probably been abused Mm -hmm. if she asks about it. So she waits until nightfall of that first day of, like, visiting and finding this all out where she's, like, alone with Kathy, like, in the same room and she kind of, like, works up the nerve to, like, be like, Kathy, what happened to Mary? Like, where is Mary? And even in, like, the confines of the room, Kathy is terrified to say anything. Like, you can tell there's some severe abuse that was going on. Yeah. And she just says, we don't talk about Mary. And she said, I was never, I was told to never talk about Mary again. This is so sinister. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like a, like a a series like i can see this being a whole i can i'm envisioning these people and the setting and it's it really I'm, should i'm be. definitely enthralled like you said earlier like i am enthralled by this this is so interesting i mean this is just the beginning i mean all of the twists and turns this is going to take you're going to be like this needs oh. to be like a 10 season series <laughs> yeah yeah But that is kind of like where things stand with it. They're just like, we don't talk about Mary. So years would pass from this like bizarre familial understanding that the girls are forbidden to ever talk about Mary. And as each year goes by, the youngest sister, Sherry, she just feels like more and more uh, like uneasy about the whole thing. She's like, something's like deeply wrong with her parents and like something really bad happened. She can't shake that feeling even as she's like maturing into a teenager and then an adult. Um, she specifically recalls being a teenager and overhearing her mother speaking from another part of the house, talking to William. And she said in a quote, you know, there are a lot of places to hide a body in California. No. Dark. Dark. Sus. Can I also just say this is Mm -hmm. so, so dark because it's one thing if it's like your mother and stepfather that you've grown up with your whole life and you feel very close to them, it's even eerier because she just doesn't know them very well. She's got this weird time in her life where she doesn't know them. So it's like... The strangers. Yeah, it's like strangers and also you're like wrestling with the idea that like 
you're supposed to be like loyal. Like these are, this is your mom and her chosen husband. Like that's, I'm supposed to, that's my family. I know. But even in her gut, she knows that it's not right. And she's as a young woman trying to like reconcile the two feelings. Totally. This, this is so interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the dichotomy of thought of like having to try to like suppress and like keep kosher with yeah. what the rules of the house are like we don't speak of Mary. But at the same time, like you're saying, like you're never going to shake that feeling, which is exactly what happens here. Like as the girls start to get older and they eventually become adults, they like try their best to live normal lives because they've experienced a good amount of trauma and they try to move on and just continue. But something continues to plague them, which is this unanswered question of whatever happened to their sister and why did their parents never report it? So then we're going to jump 20 years would elapse from when she disappeared. Right. And one of the sisters goes to the seaside police and she decides I am going to formally file a police report that my sister went missing in 1981 (laughs) Which, surprisingly, even though two decades had passed, <laughs> police take it extremely seriously. So here here we go. County county police redemption hour. <laughs> Seaside okay. police. They really show up for this one. I got to hand it to them. One of the rare instances where they're going to pull through. So police. Right, county. I know. They immediately launch their investigation 20 years after the fact. And they start doing some digging to see, you know, maybe we can drum up some paper trails or like trace what might have happened to Mary Day because don't forget the story they have is she ran away when she was 13 back in like the 70s or sorry 1981 now one of the first red flags that they catch is that her social security number has never been used since the year she disappeared they were unable to locate any paper trails that could prove like tax was collected under her name any job history under that social security number address data like voter registrations like it's as if Mary Day never existed after 1981 that is so eerie red flag number one it's like (laughs) it's like a dead end so like the search runs in tandem like with um like a host of records that they're able to obtain from like child protective services as well as testimony from sherry which paints this very clear picture for them that mary experienced a very dark and troubling childhood specifically with william so they're thinking the obvious they're like Mary Day never ran away in the 80s, but her parents maybe did something to her. Now, before they're going to run to the hills with this theory and get their warrants and, you know, track down Kathy and everybody and, you know, talk to her about things, um, they wanted to, like, learn more about the house. So, surprisingly, despite um, living her life, you know, entirely pressed under the thumb and the fear of the stepfather... They do get a hold of Kathy and she's very cooperative and she actually, because don't forget, she was the last person who really saw Mary before she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And she actually shows up with the investigators, leads them back to the childhood home. And they ask her, they're like, can you recount like what the last day was like? Like, what do you remember about Mary before she disappeared in that night? And this was her final memory, which I swear to God, like reading this, she had so clearly suppressed this. And, like, kept it, like, inside for 20 years. She was told not to talk about this. So, finally, when she's in the safety of, like, someone asking her, like, a police officer, an investigator, she just tells everything. Now, on the evening that Mary disappeared, she remembered that her mother and stepfather had actually gone out to dinner that night. And, apparently, while they were gone, Mary and Kathy were left home alone with William's dog. Somehow, the dog got into something in the kitchen and got, like, extremely sick, like, near death. 
So by the time William came home and found the dog on the kitchen floor, essentially dying, he adored this dog. And you can imagine with the context of like the type of hothead that William is and that abusive personality, he blamed Mary. So according to Kathy, William came to the door, saw the dog and became completely enraged, like full on going straight for Mary because she was the eldest. She was in charge and he accused her of intentionally trying to poison his dog. So he throws her into the corner of the room and he just starts pulverizing this poor girl, this child. Now, there are bits and pieces of this that Kathy doesn't remember because she was only 11 at the time. And I can imagine that this was extremely traumatizing. So I would not be surprised if she had blocked some of it out. But she remembers some of the last images of this night that her mother, Charlotte, was standing there watching this happen. And she was afraid to intervene because I don't think it's, I don't know, over the over the hill to say that she was probably being abused by William as well. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. Like she, so she's terrified to intervene. Kathy is standing there paralyzed watching her sister just get knocked across the face. And she just remembers seeing blood like running out of Mary's mouth. And the rest was kind of a blur. And she said the next day, Mary was gone. That was all I remember. That's horrific. Horrific. So I'm doing, I'm doing that thing where you tear. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) That is, oh my God. Just so, just like such a, I can hear you sniffling. My God. I'm like, it's such an injustice. It's so sad to think about, oh my God. Wow. Well, so you can imagine the officer who's hearing her recount the story, like how harrowing that is. And the detective, he's like, um, oh, and then when she goes on to explain the corner of the backyard, (laughs) that is more than enough, like circumstantial evidence for him where he's like, I need to make a few phone calls. (laughs) He wastes no time. And he actually returns, I think, later that day with a team of detectives and forensic professionals and cadaver dogs with a warrant to search that property. (laughs) And then almost no time at all, no time it takes for those dogs to pick up the trace of a scent in the corner of that yard that Kathy told him she was never allowed to play in. Now, it would seem like a closed case at this moment, but things are about to take a twist like you cannot imagine. Any thoughts before I'm going to jump into the next sequence? Let me take a sip of my Duncan. Hold on. Okay, okay. Remind me, are we at William's house now, or are we? Like- they've moved. They've moved. So they, the William and okay. Charlotte, they no longer live there. They're out in like Kansas or something. Because um, this is twenty years later, but this is the childhood home that like someone else occupies now, when they don't know but- anything about this story. So people just showed up and like they're like, "We've got warrants. There could be a body in your yard." Yeah. Well, sorry, I think I misspoke. When they when they got back with their mm-hmm. mom and this William guy. Yeah. Were they moving into William's house? So let me think. Mary and Kathy were with William and Charlotte when they were living in Hawaii. Then Child Protective Services stepped in because they heard about the abuse, pulled Mary out. And that was when the whole family left Hawaii. That's right. And moved That's to right. Seaside. Okay. Yeah. So then Mary comes back okay. to Seaside. Because my, my first thought was like, has he done this before? And has he hurt someone else and they're buried in the backyard? <sighs> can't wait to get into the rest of this oh my god you're all, you're oh my already god. you're already tiptoeing down a track miss miss okay. Steele. oh god so again um 
The county detective and his team, as well as the forensic team, they arrive at the property and they begin their trace towards the scent of the corner of the yard. I mean, like, we're all these years, like, after the disappearance. It's 2003 when this is happening and they're at the childhood home, possibly uncovering a two-decade-old murder of 13-year-old Mary Day. Now, unsurprisingly, in this forbidden corner of the yard right under the tree, those cadaver dogs do pick up the scent of what they, they signal to be human remains. So an excavation begins. But after digging as deep as they could into the yard, they surprisingly do not find Mary Day at all. What they find is the um, rotten remnants of a little girl's tennis shoe. Now this leads them to a new and sinister conclusion that they believe Mary Day was murdered by her parents, buried in the yard, and then later exhumed, and the body was moved to a different location. (gasps) I know. This is insane. Now, according to the detective, the logical assumption um, with most people who bury bodies, I guess, in their their own yards, is that they would later exhume them if and like take the bodies with them if they're going to move. Because the area of land that you have the most control over in terms of surveillance, in terms of burying, digging, is obviously your own yard. So it makes sense if you're a murderer and you're, I don't know, hiding the evidence on your own property that you've got to take that with you wherever you go. So the theory at this point um, is that it's, it's just not like not a strange thought to think that the family moved. Um, but before they did, they just dug up the remains of Mary Day, packed them up, which is a dark thought, and took them with them to the new home. So the police get to work tracking down Charlotte and William to figure out, are they still alive? Because the girls are like super estranged from them. Like they don't communicate with their those people anymore. Um, Thank goodness. And and not only does it turn out that even in you know 2003 they are certainly still both alive but like i said they are living all the way out in kansas charlotte the mother is contacted and agrees to sit down with the detective for a one-on-one interview this is where things are going to get really interesting and you can look these interviews up they exist as recorded videos which is nuts so When questioned about potentially being involved in the murder of her daughter, she absolutely rejects, like, any suggestion of homicide. She sticks to her story. She's like, Mary ran away. She ran away in 1981. And she actually goes on to color the story even more and, like, calls her daughter a nightcrawler, saying that, like, she was constantly running away. Like, we just, we just, like, lost track of the number of times that Mary had tried to run away and she just escaped, you know? And, like I said, you can watch this footage and it's really, really interesting to see her body language as she's being questioned about all of this. And then this detective eventually goes on to ask her, you know, well, if she ran away and didn't come back, why did, why did you never report her as missing? So eerily Charlotte in the video kind of seems to like disassociate from the conversation when this is asked, like she doesn't really give an answer. She starts like talking around it. And then she's like talking about things in the room and she talks about like her life. And she goes, you know, life is full of regrets and, I wish there were things I could go back and do differently. Like some sort of like BS, right? Um, Response. And this detective sees right through. (laughs) I'm trying so hard not to swear. (laughs) He sees right through it. (laughs) Like he's not going to waste any time with her because so he gets like a bit firm. And then she changes her tune once he gets really firm. And she actually starts to make claims saying that they did file a report. They just filed it in another town that William actually filed it himself. That's her story. (laughs) Takes virtually... No time at all for this detective to just go do any general search of a public record in California 
and find that this is completely debunked. There was no missing persons report that has ever been filed at any police station in California for Mary Day since 1981 and beyond. So then Charlotte gets defensive and she starts making claims about her daughter, you know, Kathy, saying that she's trying to brainwash the family and paint this horrible picture for everybody about what happened to Mary and how they were as parents. And it's like, well, yeah, broad. Yeah. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, this part got me so pissed. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. No, I just had the exact same thought. Like. I am getting angry listening because I'm like, I'm I'm trying to, as a human, have empathy for the fact that I think this woman was probably severely abused and so was just trying to make the most out of whatever life she had at the time. And Mm -hmm. like, but at the same time, like her saying, yeah, he would have filed it in in another place. Yeah, because that makes a lot of sense. Like, she clearly has a conscience here. (laughs) Like, she knows that it was, there's regrets. And, I mean, she said that herself. But there's regrets and there's Mm. what feels like remorse and guilt. I I would agree to that, I think. But it's just interesting that she's defensive about Kathy and, like, the other daughters, like, trying to tell this narrative. And it's like, because the narrative is, is that your kids were severely abused. And you petitioned yeah, to well, bring them back to that home. Exactly. And it's it's very, like, selfish. And it's also just, mm-hmm. like, um, it, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Um, You're overcome. You're overwhelmed. There's I'm a lot overcome. Here. I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> um, no, I, I guess what I was going to say is that, like, I felt the confidence in like your setup though. You go, I guess what I was trying to say. Do you know what? I had a really good thought, and but I think I'm so overcome with my anger towards this person that I'm just Mm -hmm. like uh, oh, you know what it is? It's it's that I feel like she's feigning, like she's like playing the part of a caring mother. Like she's Mm -hmm. just she's thinking that like this is, you know. I'm I'm gonna pretend like I really cared, and yet like it's very clear that you didn't. And why are we? Why, as the detective, I'm thinking to myself, why are we dancing around this? Like you, well, he doesn't. He happen. goes straight for the jugular. He's like, yeah, what you're feeding me yes. is a load of like yes. crap. He's like, and I'm not gonna yes. waste time with you. He's like, we have a exactly. murder case that we're looking at. So. Yeah, he's he's just as he shares the frustration, believe you me, from yes. everyone talking about yeah. the reporting here because she's just dancing around like the room. And she's like, eventually, the detective asks her, like, well, OK, what exactly do you think happened to Mary? If this is your story, like which this woman in the some video, don't forget, she sits back in her chair. She kind of takes a pause. She takes a breath. And she says, <laughs> and this is a direct quote. She goes, well. If she's dead, she's dead. That's how the interview ends. So that concludes, right? That's recorded. Oh, yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. So this concludes, um, right? And the footage is actually analyzed by body language experts who believe that Charlotte was exhibiting like telltale signs that she was lying and withholding information and felt incredibly uncomfortable and nervous about being questioned. So they then are able to track down William and they bring his ass in for an interview and he has a completely countered interpretation of what he thinks went down that night which is very interesting now at first William makes this claim uh, because he doesn't know how much they know already like he doesn't know what Kathy's told them he just thinks he's being 
questioned like generally. And he says that the night she disappeared, by the time him and Charlotte came home from dinner, Mary was already gone. He said, we looked everywhere for her in the house and like we searched the neighborhood. We filed a report with a police station that night. I know I'm, I wish I was on camera because you could see my chest getting red reading this. (laughs) (laughs) So, So the second that they like bring up the detail about the dog, they're like, well, what about your dog almost dying, huh? Suddenly everything clicks for him and he's like, oh, they know some intimate details. Okay. Mm-hmm. They've, they've been talking to Kathy. So his story completely changes. And he's like, oh, oh, you know, actually, I, I do remember about the dog. He's like, I came home and Mary was there. She was always a lot of trouble, that girl. You know, like he just starts immediately being like, she's a troubled kid. Like she was always trying to get out of the house. And he admits actually to getting like physical with her, abusive. Um, and he even admits to hitting her that night, which is wild. And now this is when things start to go like absolutely off the rails. He starts to spiral And he starts to make claims that he doesn't remember very much about that night, but he feels (laughs) as though he was overcome or possessed. His words, possessed. He starts making claims that he felt the devil was inside him that night. So suddenly the detectives are like stepping back and they're like, okay, we're operating with a different person than what we thought here. Like somebody who's not like really operating in reality. So they kind of change their tune. It's not like bad cop. And they start like gently kind of talking to him now and they're like okay well um are you friends with the devil like do you ever speak to the devil or do you hear voices do you think the devil could have killed mary specifically do you think the devil could have killed mary to which william sits back and his response is what's possible ding 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 (laughs) i'm gonna put that on merch too (laughs) a ding 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 a ding, ding, ding. I think we have a devil on our hands. Okay, now, this is so strange yeah. because it's like, is he confessing or is well, he... Okay, that's what was blowing my mind about this because it would seem yeah. extremely compelling for detectives. Um, but by law, surprisingly, this is not considered comparable to a confession. Like, yeah. So the detectives, they actually have no choice but to let William and Charlotte go. And they would spend the next several months compiling. They're building their case. They're like compiling yeah, all yeah. of this information, building the case against Mary's stepfather, because, again, at this point, they don't even have a body. So there's no real evidence, like, to back up any of this, except for the stories from the girls and the report. Um, but just several months after that interview, a discovery is made when an officer contacts this detective and says they have a story that they're going to want to hear. And that would turn this case upside down. <laughs> Thoughts before I'm going to jump in. <laughs> Uh, this is crazy. Uh, what I'm thinking about is I keep forgetting that we're 20 some odd years down the 2003. line. 2003. Yeah. Like that is wild. How do they not think that this was going to eventually catch up to them somehow? But also like that they 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 willingly like went in for questioning and stuff and there really wasn't any evidence yet. It was just yeah. like storytelling from Kathy. I mean, yeah, it's all like circumstantial. Dang. Like we really yeah. have to believe Kathy's word, which of course I think everyone does. I'm, I'm sure it's credible, but it's interesting. Yeah. Like how much time has elapsed, but what happens next, I think is going to actually send you on a spiral. You're going to spiral. Out. I am already like, so like just <laughs> this case is really like, I'm very, very just involved in it. Okay. Right? It is captivating question. Mm-hmm. Obviously Charlotte and William are no longer together. They got divorced. 
That no, actually, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think that, no, they're brought in together. I think they live together in Kansas. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I feel like that'll add to like that adds layers if they were together or if they're not together. I'm um, not 100. percent I'll be honest because I okay. I never okay. looked that up. Um, because okay. there's more meat to this case that like actually goes beyond them if you can believe it or not. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm excited. Now let's get back to this story that the officer was like, "You're gonna want to hear this." Um, they come with this story saying that they had like pulled over a pickup truck which they realized had stolen plates and it's like way out in Arizona. This happened like just timing wise, like in the middle of this investigation 20 years later. And when they pulled this truck over and they asked for IDs of the people in the car, they realized that the name of one of the two people who happened to be in that car was a match for the open case of Mary Louise day. There's a Mary Louise day in that car. So they get a photo of this woman, um, which is collected and then compared to like the last available photograph of Mary Day before she went missing. So it's like her at 13. Shockingly, the photos are very, very close. So <laughs> you could like when this detective who is like on the Mary Day case gets word of this, he is falling to the ground. Like it's it's impossible. Like he just spent eight months of his life investigating what everyone was absolutely sure was the murder of this 13-year-old girl. And now there are apparently claims that there's a woman who's pulled over in Phoenix who looks just like her and has the same name. It seems, like, so convenient timing-wise that he's like, absolutely not. I have to get on a plane. He goes to Phoenix immediately to further investigate and question this woman. Now this detective sits down with the woman, (laughs) who at this point is now claiming she is the Mary Day. She's like, I am the missing girl. And he begins, he's suspicious. He begins to question her and he's like asking her about stories from her childhood. And immediately he's finding holes in her story. One in particular is that this woman does not seem to remember the sick dog, which was the whole reason for the final fight in which the stepfather like beat her and apparently she ran away, you know? Yeah. So when he calls attention to that, this woman just sort of starts like flailing with her story and she claims that, you know, she was beaten so bad that her memory of that night is like really fuzzy and there are some things that she might have forgotten and what seems to make this whole interaction even more suspicious uh is that outside of this woman not remembering the story is that once they deep dive into the idea that like oh sorry once they deep dive into the id sorry (laughs) again have not read through this research (laughs) once they deep dive into the id that mary day was issued they realize that it was issued weeks before this woman was pulled over that's us oh no okay now all of this is unconvincing enough that the detective is able to order a dna test of the woman to which the results nearly break the man the DNA test would confirm that this woman was in fact the daughter of Charlotte Day, making it almost 100% certain that this was in fact Mary Day. He's like, how is that possible? Any immediate thoughts on that? I have full body chills. <laughs> Wait, well, I'm okay. I have some weird like gut feeling right now, but I like don't want to stop you. Okay, okay. I'll keep going. Well, when word gets okay. back to Sherry and Kathy about this, they are in complete disbelief because they had lived the majority of their lives kind of secretly thinking that their sister was probably murdered. And then they'd probably, you know, it's just like strange to think that I'm trying to remember who was there. Kathy, Kathy and I guess um, Sherry were both there just thinking that the whole time as they grew up, 
Their sister was buried in the backyard, is what they thought. Year after year, they would look to the backyard just envisioning that their sister's body was there. So to get word that there is a DNA match with this woman rocked their world. Like they were beside themselves. In their mind, in their minds, it feels as if their sister was resurrected from the dead. You know, they can't wrap their head around it. But at the the same time, you can't refuse or like refute a DNA test. Like it's on paper. It's black and white that this is uh, their sister. Right. Still in complete disbelief. Um, But also with the optimism of like finally getting to reconnect with their sister who they thought they lost. They invite her to come live with them in California And Mary Day would go to live with her sister, Sherry. But the more time that they spend around her, something feels like kind of off, right? She's very different from how they remember her. Um, And there are certain details about her childhood that she can't seem to recall a bit specifically. um, And there are some facets to her that are really, really different now and interesting. She speaks with a Southern drawl now, which according to experts probably would have taken her I know. Give me a sec. <laughs> I'm like, she's been listening to Creep Time. <laughs> well, the experts who listened, they were like, it would have taken her living in somewhere in the South for more than a decade for her to naturally develop that, which I'll debunk yeah. just from anecdotal evidence because it took yeah, me 30 say. seconds <laughs> and I'm currently living in it. But according to this, this woman's story, she'd only lived in the South for about two years after she ran away. But also, what also, like, feels unnerving for Kathy is that Mary doesn't seem to remember the inheritance. If you remember that story, like, when the birth father died and he left them that, like, inheritance Mm -hmm. and they made that pact together. And they were like, this is our secret money. This is our escape plan. Because they had codenamed it Mohawk. That was the code name. She has no memory of that. She goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Hmm. So that's, like, really sitting strange with them. They're like, What? Something about all of this doesn't feel right. But again, on paper, the DNA test says that she is their sister. So there's no room for an argument here. Now, Sherry and Kathy sort of separately and silently develop their own suspicions on Mary. But eventually, once Sherry notices that Mary is receiving mail at the house, she realizes that it's addressed to a completely different name, Mm. Monica Devereaux. And that's where the sisters start to develop this conspiracy and begin to question, is this our sister? How would that Same even initials. be possible? True. I didn't even think about that. Monica Devereaux. Mm-hmm. Now, while that sort of like internal familial conspiracy is going down, um, the Mary Day case, it still seems to be like accruing evidence as the years go by because it didn't fully close. Like it had been like a really like hot and heavy eight month investigation. But once this woman shows up, they're like, well, damn, I, I, guess, she, <laughs> I guess there's really no case here. Um, but it doesn't close. Like they still kind of keep like keeping a tab on it. Cause they're not certain either investigators that is. And we roll around to 2008 police are investigating an unrelated case at an army base known as, um, Fort Ord. And while having cadaver dogs on the scene, one of the dogs picks up the scent in the yard that would suggest that human remains were once buried there while searching the archived records of the former owners of that home. There is one name that stands out amongst the lot. William Houle had previously (gasps) occupied that home. So you can imagine the confusion that this would have for what was supposed Uh to be a closed case on a missing person who (laughs) now we've got two separate properties that William Houle has previously occupied, both of which are having hits 
from cadaver dogs that are picking up traces of human remains. But we supposedly have Mary Day alive and well, living with her sister Sherry in California. What's going on with that? The case seems to have so many points of contradiction, and the investigators were so weary that they had gotten something wrong in this that they actually would end up tapping a detective to come out of retirement to aid in the Mary Day investigation. They're like, there is a stone here that has not been unturned. He would rely mostly on circumstantial evidence to help build a new conspiracy to explain what he thinks really happened with Mary Day. So he concocted this conspiracy that the DNA test was correct. That woman was Charlotte Day's daughter, but he believes Mm. that she's not Mary Day. He thinks she may have been possibly another daughter, a slightly older daughter of Charlotte's that she had before Mary And then when police came knocking for William and Charlotte in Kansas after those interviews, because don't forget, this was just a few weeks that this woman appeared out of the blue after those interviews, they got scared. And in an attempt to cover up a two-decade-old murder of their daughter, they provided Charlotte's estranged daughter with Mary Day's birth certificate, social security card, and as a trade-off for her to pose and live under a new clean identity and record, she would go along with it. Now... You can't build, or sorry, you can't like build a full conspiracy and case on just a hunch, right? But there are some things here that make, you know, complete sense. For one, the motive is there, I think, for both the parents to cover their ass, but also the possibility that this estranged daughter, who might have had trouble with the law, might have had a bad record, she can get a fresh start. She can start anew. She can get a job anywhere. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. Something about that. I don't know. They need tangible evidence, though, is the problem. So, like, they're like, for this to hold up in court, like, yeah, we've got a story, but we need some scrap of, like, real evidence here. So that investigator that they had pulled out of retirement, um, he's able to tap a forensic anthropologist to return to the original childhood home that Mary Day allegedly disappeared from. And they take soil samples from the corner of the yard for which the pathologist is able to confirm the presence of very, very old human remains that were once in that soil. So Mm. now it's not just as simple as a dog sniffing. Like we've got some concrete evidence that a body was there in that corner of that yard at some point. Um, But now that they have the confirmation of the remains and they present that to Kathy and Sherry privately, (laughs) they also show them the shoe, that like tattered shoe, if you remember that they had recovered. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Kathy believes it looks identical to shoes that Mary used to wear when she was younger. In an extremely unforeseen twist, they now once again believe that their sister Mary Day is in fact dead and that they are living with an imposter. Come on. Do you know, though, that that's exactly what I was thinking? I was like, if they have that dang shoe still, (laughs) if there's any chance that they could find any DNA on that shoe and... And run it against this imposter and prove that they're not the same person. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, they really thought this was concrete. Like, they built an entire case to prove out what they believe to be, like, the final story. This is the final chapter to suggest that Mary Day was murdered. But there's one problem here. They're wrong. (laughs) No. (laughs) There's more to the story. So now we're going to roll around to 2017. So this is about a full decade after, like, this retired detective um, 
Mark Clark had drummed up the theory that he felt he could prove that Mary Day was in fact murdered all those years ago and that this woman was a fraud. His words, not mine, but I just wanted to say fraud. (laughs) Now, at this point, the case actually gets turned over to the new chief of police in Seaside, our friends at County. And she picks up the case and revisits all of the information from scratch, in addition to the conspiracy that was drummed up and presented by Mark Clark. And she takes a counter approach, and she actually believes that this is a case of Occam's razor. All signs point to the obvious, in her mind, you know, the DNA test was more than likely correct, um, that William and Charlotte probably did tell the truth. Maybe Mary Day did just run away when she was 13, and that this woman claiming to be her is in fact her. But immediately, this is hit with, like, you know, all of the evidence of the case that was, like, picked up over the years. And now we've got the cadaver dogs that seem to pick up the possible trace of human remains at two separate properties that William Houle was once at. The presence of the former human remains, um, possible decomp found in the soil of a childhood home, and, of course, the shoe, which was found um, and presented to Kathy. And she's like, it's identical to what Mary would wear. Now, the police chief, her problem with the shoe specifically, she's like, sorry, this is not a comparable size to, like, Mary's age. It's a shoe that's, like, fit for, like, a five- or six-year-old girl, not for a 13-year-old. And it, like, just would Mm -hmm. not make sense that she would have been wearing that shoe at the time that she was suspected of being murdered. And there ends up being so much conflict and back and forth on the evidence in this case that it's actually never officially shut, despite there being, like, this literal person who claims and is living her life as Mary Day. Now, the original detective on the case decides to track down Mary Day for one final interview because he thinks he's going to get the seal on the story. He's like, going to ask her, is it you? Are you her or are you this other daughter, this unknown daughter that we, we've never clocked? And at this point, it's actually um, it's a good time to do it because, surprisingly, This woman claiming to be Mary Day had already moved out of Sherry's house, and she's actually living out in Missouri, and she's battling late-stage cancer in her late 40s. She's on her deathbed, this woman. So if there's any time where they're going to get the final answer to this story, it's now. So this final interview would prove to be the defining feature of the mystery of Mary Day as this woman really kind of opens up about her life and about her experiences after she apparently ran away in 1981 And she claims that, you know, once she ran away, when she was 13, she lived on the streets for like a good number of years. And by all accounts, her life was like really rough. And the reason that she went by the name Monica Devereaux, because they bring that up and throw it at her, is because when she ran away, she said that she was terrified of being tracked down as Mary Day and being brought back to that situation. Because technically that had happened before, you know, so she lived under Mm -hmm. a different name for decades is the story. She eventually had to get a state ID under her legal name in order to get state benefits because she had got she was diagnosed with um or sorry she had her gallbladder removed just shortly before she was diagnosed with cancer. So in order to get that done, she had to get state benefits and have an ID present. There was no way around it, and she could not do that while living under an alias. She expressed great sense of remorse and pain in this feeling that she had kind of rejected her identity for so much of her life and then suddenly all of these decades later she's refound reunited with her family and then kind of brought to the heels of this constant conspiracy and rejection and suspicion by people who she thought she loved saying that she's still a missing person she's not who she says she was and she just still wanted people to believe her 
nine days after that interview, she lost her battle with cancer in Missouri. Mm. And even at the time of her death, the two sisters still denied that this woman was in fact Mary Day. So no one attends her funeral. She's buried alone. The police chief from Seaside um, doesn't feel like the story's done here. Like, she still doesn't feel like any of that is concrete and we need to put a button on the story. So she becomes determined to finish the ending to Mary's story and find one final piece of evidence that could put the nail in the coffin here. She's able to track down a woman um, from one of Mary Day's, like, stories in her final interview from, like, a couple of years after she ran away and said she was living on the street. The woman's name is Mari, and she had taken Mary in at 15, according to Mary Day's story, and this woman had raised her along her daughters until one day she woke up and Mary had just run away. So the woman is tracked down, and she's actually able to provide a picture of Mary at the alleged age of 15, which is analyzed by a facial recognition expert who is able to compare three separate photos, one from when she was 13, Mary Day as an adult, and then this picture at 15. This person concludes there is a 99% chance that these are all a match. She said she was who she said she was. That woman wow. was Mary Day. And although it's too late at this time, you know, at the time that it was determined, and she never really gets to see it, after 36 years of the Mary Day case... It is officially closed, and both of her sisters now know that she was never murdered. The most bizarre case I had come across in a while. I mean, it is just a puzzle of circumstantial evidence that would seem to align, but none of it was real. And it's interesting because I think, I know, I think that this is a really compelling case for when investigators want to force fit stories that aren't there. Mm -hmm. There was a lot on the table that seemed compelling, like the two cadaver separate residents where the cadaver dogs were picking up traces of human remains, like so much of this aligned where you're like, but what were those human remains? Unknown. It could have been very, very, very old. I mean, maybe it was a property that like way back in the day someone was buried on. I'm talking like hundreds of years ago. I don't know why that would make sense in Seaside, California, (laughs) but it's possible just well, so much of this know, fell into I place earlier i was like yeah when i was like "Ooh, i have a gut feeling but i don't want to say anything mm-hmm. so my gut was that this william character is bad news and mm-hmm. i was going to a place where like has he killed other people or has he gotten with the wrong crowd and he like takes care of people that have been killed and like buries them because like mm-hmm. why would the parents say, don't go in that corner of the yard? True, true. I mean, there's no other... He might have died at this point, actually. I'm not sure how old he was, but there's no further investigation, I think, after 2017 when Mary Day passes to try to convict William because it seems like everything they had built up was around her alleged murder, which just didn't exist, they they found. Yeah. So if that is true, that he was burying people, It just, and maybe that's part of the reason why they never reported her missing was that he was involved in some shady stuff. So he didn't want police like snooping around if there was a missing kid, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think he must have been. um, He had to be. Because if they found, if they found that at both properties, that just seems like 
talk about Occam's razor. Like this guy is involved in, you don't move to two different houses where they both have some sort of human remains getting sniffed out. I mean, I know. Um, wow. Wow. That was, <laughs> isn't <fabulous>. that wild? <laughs> I mean, that, that is the was... final story that will ever be told of Mary day because finally, even in death, she has the validation that she is no longer a missing person. That was her. And she was just dealt a horrific hand by <sighs> people who were abusive. Gosh, I I just wish before she died we could have gotten, well, I guess, I mean, you did go into a lot of it, but mm-hmm. more of a scope of, like, what her life had been like for the past 20 years. Like, yeah, how had she made ends meet? How did she, like, grapple with knowing that she, like, left a family behind and had two sisters that she left behind? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sad that she died because what a fascinating story of like kind of like we said at the very beginning resilience like a very resilient person absolutely and also just a tale of abuse and what aftermath happens like i know and what's kind of devastating about it i know well her sisters i think it's particularly devastating because like i said she was buried alone because even at the time of her death her sisters were convinced they were like that's not mary That's someone else Mm. pretending to be her. So it is sad that this all came out after the fact. They now know the truth that that was Mary all along. And I'm sure they they live with that to to an extent. But I think they were right to be suspicious because so much of their lives had been wrapped up in conspiracy and lies and mistruths. Um, But I really do have to hand it to the Seaside County Police Chief for just really tracking all of this down and like finally putting the whole story to bed. I mean, dang, is this like county's first victory? Uh, really? Lap for I'm going to name this episode <laughs> County's First Victory. Yeah, surprising, right? Okay, County, we see you. Yeah. Well, if you remember the last episode um, with Jack and I, I talked about when the constable, the police came in to investigate the poltergeist and they said, not our job. And they walked out. Yeah. 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 I know. I started dying laughing when I was listening. Cause it's like a part for the chorus at any decade, any time they come in, they're like, not, not a police situation. We'll go. I mean, truth be told, it's not, but I don't know. Do something. Y'all can handle this. If we can't see it, we're not touching it. Yeah. But yes, dude, that is the wild ass story of Mary day. Not even like a, not a true crime case, just a strange disappearance that somehow had an end. It has a solve. And it's, it's really interesting um, being in the seat that I'm in because I feel like our rhythm is that I normally am just like trying to be a sleuth and figure Mm -hmm. out like what's going on. And it really is such a exercise of like, sometimes you can't trust your gut. Like sometimes you have to. Yeah. Things are not as they seem. Um, There's, uh, you know, people that are really capable of doing awful things and they have the track record that you think like obviously would um, put them in that position like this William guy. Mm -hmm. And he actually at the end of the day, like he was a horrible human being, abusive, but ended up not committing this crime. It's just like, ooh, it makes you like question your own gut and your own instincts. 
I had the same experience. So when I first heard this story, I was going through the same motions as you. I was like, oh, this is an open and shut case. I know what happened here. Yeah. I was like, I, I know every scenario that probably happened here. I did not expect this ending. So yeah, it was kind of like a testament to, I think, what the investigators were probably going through, where they were trying to force fit the puzzle pieces. But it yeah. tr- it wasn't telling a story of truth. That wasn't what happened. Wow. Yeah, even going as far as to deny, like, question DNA tests, I was like, we're reaching, but it's possible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Stu, that's all I got for you. That is the harrowing story of Mary Day. I think next week, I'm I'm excited because I'm going to pull together another case, um, but I'll make it juicy. It'll be like an unsolved or a classic true crime or something, but this one was compelling. Yeah, well, you know what? I was just thinking, I was like, normally when we do Unsolved, I always walk away and I'm going to text you like the next day being like, what if this happened? What if that happened? I know, I know. Now you don't you don't have to hear from my ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be it's just going to be me at 3 a.m. staring at the ceiling wondering. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know you, it is it's a weird feeling like when you end it cuz you're like you're yeah, you're like anticipating as like a reflex like doing your sleuth work but you're like no i guess yeah that's that's the start and the end it isn't just, it it is what it is Shoot. county said it is what it is county said occam's razor girl that yeah. female police ship she was like occam's razor stop stop trying to tell a narrative here yeah she said she's here wild i gotta track down that police wow. chief and be like congrats to you for putting the yeah. story to bed go girl <laughs> <laughs> Well, Stu, that is all I got. Creepers, thank you so much for joining us for the ride. This is actually, this is not a Friday episode. This is a Thursday episode because I'm doing moving stuff tomorrow. So I'm not going to have time. <laughs> so I appreciate it's you also, joining. It's a full moon. Are you well, looking we, at the moon right now? Oh, well, I guess it's very it dark a, where I am. Not dark yet. It's, it's not moon, dark, baby. but I thought it was a full moon last night. Maybe it was like the step just before. Oh, How was long does it? a full moon last? Three days? I don't know, but I'm looking at what looks like a full moon. Okay, werewolves do. Oh my god, that was another <laughs> that was another case I had on my list. Because um, I was looking up like I wanted to do something paranormal and like phenomenon. Yes. There's like an old insidious case in like a town that is believed to have been like terrorized by a werewolf. <laughs> Isn't that oh, crazy? Oh, I love that. I, I oh, was I love I've that. never heard a story like that, so I was like, oh, I think we need to look. We need to take a is gander. Is it in the United States or it's like old timey like Europe or something? <gasps> okay. I don't know. Um, let me see if I can just like pull it up real quick. Werewolf case. Real. The things I'm searching for this. Um, <laughs> real werewolves in history. The Richardson family murder. Were there any oh, werewolves at Parapod? No. <laughs> is there like a werewolf I community? It to be a... It's just it's just vampires. They're called furries. They're furries. Oh, yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, Jack and I have an inside joke that Jack is a furry, but the more that the joke carries Stop. on, the more I'm starting to believe it's real. <laughs> um, did we Stop. see any furries at Parapod? I don't think we did. No, I would have loved to because they're a good time. There's a wild documentary about one of the first like furry cons and how <gasps> harrowing it was so this is you can find this on youtube i'm jack knows it he showed it to me one of the first like furry cons like they had a really tough time booking a hotel to like host it like a conference center um and all of these people showed up the, all of these furries and they were wild stew like it was heinous what these people did 
to this hotel. They they're now banned from like almost every hotel in the country because of what they did. Like debauchery, like trashing hotel rooms, like orgies all night. Like it was just like (laughs) treacherous. Like you couldn't imagine. Okay. He's officially a furry. If he's not only like he has a minimal knowledge of it, but he's doing deep dives. He's showing me docs. (laughs) Amateur docs. I don't know. I need to investigate. I need Nancy on the case, please. I'm fascinated. Also, before we go, congratulations to you two on the Zodiac episode because that is our most popular episode to date. Oh my gosh. I wanted well, to just like thank you for <laughs> indulging me in what was what a harrowing episode. Not only was it two first of all, the content's harrowing, two hours plus and all the technical difficulties. We I was had. gonna say it was like it was so, two hours plus with the cuts. I was like, I think the recordings yeah. were close to three. Yeah, so congrats to you for making it through and also on an empty freaking stomach. Oh, it was Lord. amazing. No, that was such a fun episode because I, I, it's so rare I like get to hear a story I've never heard before. So I was I know, so excited. I and know. you did and so well, so too. I don't know oh, if you've seen so like sweet. any of the, the comments the Creepers left, but they loved it. They thought you did amazing. Oh, oh I love Creepers. They're so sweet. Um, I do, too. They're yeah, so smart, that was so too. Much they think of me. theories we've never thought of before. <laughs> I know, I know. I really am amazed. Like when I do have the time and I can look at some of the comments they have. I mean, they're yeah. they're absolute sleuths. I'm like, how did you think of that? Like, it's crazy. It's but like so it's like little mirrors. Plausible. They remind me so much of us. Like, I just am, yes. I read their comments yes. in our personalities because I think they're very yes. similar. Absolutely. So, creepers, thank you so much for listening. This has been a thrilling episode, and. Although it's Thursday, we're going to catch you next Friday for a new one. Should we say goodbyes to? Yeah, goodbye, creepers. Bye, creepers. Have a wonderful Thursday night, and we'll see you next week.